Crosstalk, the unintentional transfer of signals between communication channels. A casual conversation. Hello world, this is a Video Game Crosstalk, the bi-weekly podcast of gamers talking about tech, science, and whatever else comes to mind. I'm your host, Anthony Rossi, and with me this week is Nikki Vick. Nikki, what's going on? Hey, man, how are you doing? <laughs> I am doing pretty good. Um, and I know we had just talked about this just before uh, recording, but I need to give a shout out to Nikki really quick, because she is helping <laughs> me out big time right now. Uh, I do have another friend of mine who was supposed to be helping me out with this. Uh, however, he was actually called out to help out with the wildfires out in California. So, I hope he Paul, stays safe. Yeah. yeah, seriously, Paul, stay safe, buddy. Uh, you're doing great work. So, uh, he will be with us at some other time. But in the meantime, uh, I put a shout out on Twitter. Uh, noting that as I look through my list of guests that I have lined up for this show, and uh, all of you people who have responded have, are awesome. You're all awesome. Uh, but I noticed that I have way too many dudes on that list. <laughs> you know, I'm looking through. No, seriously, I'm looking. I'm like, yeah, these guys are awesome. These guys are all guys. They're all guys. <laughs> you know, and I tried to stay conscious of uh of inclusion you know i try to even things out as much as i can because as i'm looking i'm like i'm just reinforcing the same same gender roles as i'm going through this and i not just in gaming i want need to get inclusion uh moving on a bit but also in science and technology because there are women who are doing great work but even to this day uh progress is being made but it's still a very male dominated field and we need to get the need to get the ladies involved a bit more in this. So Nikki was really quick in jumping in on this. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm like, uh, you know, the first to jump in when we're talking about women in gaming or women in technology and women in science, but I certainly am a woman and I certainly am involved and uh, you know, I've got opinions here and there. So I'm sure that'll come up at some point. <laughs> oh yeah, it'll definitely it'll definitely come up. And uh, like I said in the in the intro for this, we're gamers talking about tech, science, and whatever else comes to mind. So you're a gamer. Let's uh let let's nerd out for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, yeah, I'm home. <laughs> excellent. So serious. Uh, what have you been up to? Anything anything special going on? Anything special going on? Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm in the middle of streaming Outlast on Twitch. And Outlast, if you're not exactly sure what that is, is a very psychological survival horror game in which you don't have any weapons. Your only oh. manner of surviving is running and hiding and hoping that you don't get killed. All right. I have heard of this game. <laughs> um, I saw like previews and trailers for this when it was coming out. It came out... When did it come out? A year 2014, yeah. 14, okay. So a couple of years ago. And it really intrigued me because most stealth games, you've got, you know, either it's Assassin's Creed and you have the, the Hidden Blade, or you've got some type of really close melee attack 
thing where you can you need to sneak around but you can take people out take guards out per se mm-hmm. um either choke them out or give them a quick you know slit the throat or something like that but in outlast this is the one where you have no weapons correct Absolutely no weapons. You're an investigative reporter, and your only tool that you brought with you is a video camera because you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and that is uh, intense. You break into this. It's called. It's called Mount Massive Asylum, okay. in which they're doing some sort of strange experiments on the patients there, and you had a whistleblower send you the information and hoped that you would come and kind of break in and expose the situation for what it was. So this is supposed to be your big break in your career and you go there and you find hell on earth and Oh great. You're you're a gamer sitting there in your couch trying not to leave pee stains. <laughs> it's so terrifying. It really is. It it gets you on almost every level on sound and in terms of your anxiety and um I mean it's an it's a an exercise in managing your stress levels, really. <laughs> it really is, though. Wow. And everyone adores when I stream that because uh, the jump scares are apparently... I, I do things with my face I did not know that <laughs> I could do. But literally jumping out of my chair, screaming, my face does weird things. It's perfect. That so is that's true. what I'm doing right now. <laughs> All right, so that sounds really intense and just like... It's all psychological. Are you like crawling around, like underneath desks, like watching like the psychopaths walk by or something in this game? Absolutely, they hunt you. They and hunt you. Okay. They hunt you down, and uh, you have to hide under desks and dark corners, under the beds, with the blood stains all over them. And of course, and of course, it's in an asylum. Of course. Of course, it's in. Is there any paranormal activity going on? Of course, there is. You know, how how it goes, I'm not going to talk okay. too much about it, because anyone who's interested, I really I- encourage them to try playing the game if they're brave enough. But, um, <laughs> it, it really starts as that uh, corporeal horror, like uh, gore, guts, jump scares, that sort mm-hmm, of thing, and mm-hmm. it kind of moves into the paranormal fear because because there is a particular element of that story that is revealed later in the game okay so it's got a bit of both it's interesting yeah see that that's the thing that i've noticed in proper horror in horror done like the right way the best thing to do is excuse me the best thing to do is to feed on people's fear of the unknown that's right you know, it's just like that's that seems to be what people fear the most, like the not understanding, the not fully grasping what's going on around them. That seems to just like seems to be the best motivator uh, combined in with the jump scares. Not so much the gore, because the gore, I think, sometimes is more just like a gross out factor. If you follow, I do. I think that honestly, the developers of Outlast, um, I think they pushed themselves to the limit with what they could have gotten away with. I think that a lot of it it has to do with shock factor. Nice. So the gore is there for shock factor. And then you have the the anxiety that they build with the atmosphere, with your incapability of really doing anything to protect yourself. That's um, another thing. Go ahead. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously not really understanding what is actually happening. And most people need that, but 
degree of control over their lives. You sit down and you play this game and you're plopped, you know, in an analog of Miles Upshur and, and you have no clue what's going on or how you're going to survive. Oh, so man. it's it's really takes you out of your comfort zone in almost every way that you possibly can. Yeah, so it's combining the fear of the unknown and a feeling of absolute helplessness That's at the right. same time. Mm-hmm. Well, make sure your heart meds are up to date and uh, go give mm-hmm. Outlast a try. <laughs> Outlast, please do. I know they're they're making a second iteration of the title. I think really, it's, it's releasing. I can't remember the release date. Outlast Two is coming, everybody. <laughs> okay, Outlast Two is coming. Hold on, I've got the power of Google in front of me right now. Uh, Outlast. LSU release on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. All arrive at the same time. All right, I'm not seeing an actual release date, but I'm looking on VG247, and there is confirmation. Um, That'll be there. I think the rumor is that mid mid next year, but I'm not exactly certain. That's I think that's what someone said in my chat. So all right, (laughs) okay, we can look into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been, I've been in a weird nexus of gaming. Um, my sister-in-law was able to purchase uh, Assassin's Creed. Got to remember which one. Syndicate. There we go. <laughs> oh, so There's many. So many. Creed. There is. <laughs> there is, and I actually started with the first one, and I've played all the major releases except for Assassin's Creed Rogue, and. Liberation and the the side scroller ones, the Assassin's Creed Chronicles. So I've worked my way through all the Assassin's Creed, but yeah, there's so many. I, and I keep wanting to say Unity, but no, it's not Unity. It's Syndicate. When you're in London during the uh, Elizabethan times, and you got the two the Fry twins, um, <laughs> it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But it's like I needed to play that game before the uh, movie gets released later this year, Christmas time. So it's like I hadn't gotten around to it. Movie time's getting closer. I threw it up on Facebook. Like, hey, does anyone have like a used copy or something that I can, you know, work my way through? And uh, my sister-in-law decides to enable my gaming addiction. And she, <laughs> oh, it's great. Uh, she, thank you, Susan. And <laughs> she uh, she sends me like the gold edition with all the additional DLC. Yes. Oh my god. Uh, well, I was going to be the heathen that watched the movie and then at some point got to the games. <laughs> Get off my so, pod. No, I'm <laughs> I was like, very good on you going ahead and, and trying to uh, to work your way through all of those in time because oh. Lord knows I won't have time to do it. Yeah, it's a lot. And actually, making time for gaming, that's going to come up later on in this podcast, but we'll get to it. But um, no, I've been playing them for years. I've been playing them since they've been coming out since three. So as they came out, I've been playing them. But um, yeah, outside of that, finished that off. And I've just been kind of keeping a steady course, uh, playing Destiny uh, with a few friends. Uh, Money's been tight. Uh, in the Rossi household for a while. I mentioned this on the last podcast. Uh, thankfully, I have started working full-time again. Uh, being between jobs is a royal pain, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, st- uh, we're going to uh, get the full-time. Been at that for a new month. Awesome job. Fantastic job. Love the people I work with. And with that, <laughs> I actually picked up, and we were recording this on a Wednesday night. So l- yesterday, I was able to pick up Deus Ex Mankind Divided. And 
oh lordy, this is going to be good. Uh, <laughs> we'll get a little bit more into that uh, probably when we get into... Well, you know, heck, let's talk about it now. Mankind yeah. Divided. <laughs> Tell if, me about it, because uh, I, I don't have any experience with this title whatsoever. Okay. Uh, hear um, great things, however... Tell me about what's going on with this one. What have you experienced so far? Okay, so this takes place a few years directly after the events of Deus Ex Human Revolution. And the whole premise of this game is that it's the year 2029 and human augmentation has now become the norm. People actually now opt voluntarily for prosthetics because these prosthetics, uh, they... Just like every tool to ever come into invention, they extend our capabilities. So uh, people are. I getting... assume we're talking about mechanical prosthetics. Yes. Or yes, robotic. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, they've made a ton of additional like side trailers and uh, other promotional material for this game. Uh, they've made actual fake commercials for the fictional uh, companies mm-hmm. that exist in the universe. Uh, where it's this guy, he's throwing a football in the backyard with his son, and he's got this mechanical arm uh, that actually looks a little bit like uh, Cyclops, not Cyclops, uh, Colossus from the X-Men. It's uh, like that banded steel type look. Yeah. And he can throw the football perfectly from like incredible distances with like perfect accuracy. Um, there are references in the game where um, Olympians are now, you know, flipping the coin for some additional uh, physical enhancements. At one point during the game, you talk to a woman uh, who got involved in the black market, and she uh, opted for some uh, neural implant that allows her to think faster so she can compete in the higher job market. So it's just become the norm. And one of the things that uh, was stressed during the game in, uh, in Human Revolution is that there's a few particular companies, one of which called Serif, and they will provide you with these prosthetics, but in true like big pharma fashion, they also require you to take this drug called neuropazine. And neuropazine is highly addictive, mm-hmm. and you're hooked on it for life because your body is naturally rejecting these mechanical implants. So it's like, sure, we can give you this implant or this new arm or whatever, but to ensure that it meshes with your body properly, you're going to have to take this highly addictive drug, and so that your body doesn't reject it, you're going to have to take it for the rest of your life. So there's that big pharma aspect going on with it. Uh, It also touches a lot on social commentary of um, manipulation of information, uh, how information is portrayed to the public. Uh, This isn't quite a spoiler uh, if you look into the game at all, but as it turns out, one of the famed newscasters in the game uh, is actually a a highly sophisticated AI that's been designed to manipulate the news and spin it in the producer's uh, favor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it gets a lot into that. The game itself is mostly a stealth game, although, if you wish, you can go ahead and blow everything up. Um, there are bonuses act well there are achievements that can be unlocked if you go through the game and you don't kill anybody so you can knock people out so if you sneak up behind someone you can kind of choke them out and you know hide their unconscious body somewhere but if another enemy uh happens to see that body you know they'll get alerted they'll walk over to the body and they'll be able to wake their buddy up so interesting yes so you can actually go through and um 
file this under one of those sick and twisted uh, pleasures in video gaming. There was one office building that I was sneaking my way through, and I was kind of you know stealth subduing all the guards like one at a time type of thing. And rather than you know, hide them in this empty office or behind a corner, I was actually kind of throwing them down this uh, venting duct. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh-huh. so I would I would choke out one of the guards and then I'd drag him to this other like heating vent and I'd throw them down this ductwork and I just kind of like <laughs> chuckled to myself as I was doing this. I'm like, this is this is twisted. I go through, I grab whatever information I was trying to steal out of a computer and as I'm making my way back out of the building, I go down that same duct and as I fall down to the bottom, all of a sudden I'm just faced with the consequences of my actions and there's just a pile <laughs> of unconscious bodies. <laughs> at the bottom of this ductwork, I'm like, oh, that's that's, that's twisted. That's that that's hilarious. I mean, it's, so it's just gonna... definitely twisted, but great. <laughs> yes, great at the same time. Uh, so I finally was able to jump on that uh, in Mankind Divided. Like I said, this takes place a few years after, and a lot of the controls have been updated. Uh, a lot of the mechanics have been updated. It's much more fluid now, which is you know. Good to see when you uh, progress through a uh, through a series that it's good to have the controls change a little bit. Um, I don't like it when they completely remap the controller, uh, but basically what they did is they found a better way to handle all of the common operations and put them at more user friendly locations. So the bumpers are now used more often. You can click and hold the uh, analog sticks to bring up different ability or weapon wheels and stuff like that. So rather than going into an actual menu, they've found a way uh, without really altering the rest of the uh, control scheme to bring up these radial wheels for quick selection. So that was really cool. And there's a few things also which I noticed which are really helpful and going to be very helpful is as you kind of duck behind different cover items or walls or whatever, you can... And this mechanic is found in a few games, but they added this the feature where you can aim where you want to kind of like stealth crouch run to, but it it will give you more feedback. So rather than just saying, like, I want to vault over this wall or I want to run over to the next point of cover that's kind of, you know, across this hallway, it will actually show a shadow of where you'll end up. So rather than just kind of like porting your character in that general direction, it'll actually give you exactly where you're going to be. So that's, that's going to help. Yeah. yeah. That's going to help out a lot. So does Mankind Divided so far and what limited time you've had to kind of play with it, does it receive the Anthony seal of approval? So far, absolutely. Um, I've, only, I've only gotten through like the intro mission. Because unfortunately, you know, working full time, and I'm also taking uh, night classes full time as well. So busy dude, busy, busy, busy dude, busy, 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 busy. Um, so I've only been able to play like a couple hours last night, but um, it's going to be fun, uh, from what I can tell. And I've only played a little bit based on all the reviews that have been coming out and what I know from playing uh, Human Revolution. Uh, they're going to do good things with this. Um, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high just because it might, you know, falter a little bit, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I might have to look into it. You know, it's worthwhile. Even if you just grab uh, Human Revolution, it, you could probably get that for pretty cheap at this point. Let's, 
Well, again, I've got the power of Google in front of me, so... <laughs> <laughs> That looks like from Dell you can get it for twenty dollars. Uh, no, not the director's cut, not the uh, not the collector's edition. So yeah, it looks like twenty dollars. Um, I'm not sure what it is on the Xbox store, but I mean, it might have jumped up because the Mankind Divided was just released. But it looks like you can get it pretty decently. So yeah, not too bad. I'll definitely look into it. Is that that's on an older console? I assume like three sixty. You know what? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, but have you That's been moving? Fine. To... I got that. Okay, you got the three six. Nice. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. So let's move into a little bit of tech talk. Uh, what we got going on? There is a article that piqued my interest. Um, a wireless antenna that can make cord cutting a lot easier. So this is pretty cool if you're looking into cutting the cord from uh, cable television. Personally, we are cable cutters. Uh, we no longer pay for cable television because basically, and I'm assuming that a lot of gamers will agree with this statement, most of TV is pretty bad. Yep. And I joined that train of thought a couple of years ago as well. Okay, good. So... But- you're a cord cutter? Um, we can say I'm a cord cutter. It's mostly that I just got rid of cable TV and I just don't care enough anymore. All right. <laughs> no, I there totally understand. A, there are still a few shows, though, that people get really excited about. And I have that moment of, oh, I guess I can't really participate in that because I don't really care enough to go look for it. I don't mm-hmm. really have the time. I've got so much other stuff to do. But... Um, I believe in this article it was saying that uh, not only will this like, cable streaming service, if you would, uh, cast it to different devices, but it also has somewhat of a like storage for for recording shows that you can't catch. So kind of like a TiVo sort of thing, but cooler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, right now it says it's on Kickstarter, but I mean, if... If it's been go, if cable cutting has been going the way that it's been going over the past few years, uh, it'll get it'll get started, it'll get kicked. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, basically, if you're curious about cord cutting, the first thing you can do is just unhook the coaxial cable from your cable box and just stick it straight into your TV and see if uh, anything comes up. Um, I mean, we did that just to just to see just to see what would happen, and we got a ton of channels surprisingly. So there might be a bunch of channels where you can just get free over-the-air as is. There's a bunch of other over-the-air antennas that'll go straight into your TV, and they'll cost maybe like forty between forty and a hundred dollars. So depending on how crazy you want to go with it, you can get one for like forty or sixty dollars, and it's a one-time purchase. So that makes it a little bit easier to handle if you care enough, of course, <laughs> to get TV. But yeah, what was cool about this one? It's called the Watch Air. Rather than sending it straight to your TV, it actually uses your Wi-Fi signal. So you can use that to just cast to all your different devices. But um, one thing to know, if you are going to use this Watch Air antenna, I think you're going to need to use a smart TV. Let me... Watch Air won't 
work with every smart TV, only sets from Samsung, LG, Sony, and Vizio. Oh, well, those are like the main major manufacturers. So as long as you're not getting one of the off-brands, you should be all right. Yeah, so nothing in here that says it'll work through a coax. Uh, no, yeah, instead of sending the signal directly to your TV like an average antenna, the company says Watch Air uses your Wi-Fi router to send the signals to its apps, allowing you to watch TV on multiple devices. All right, so uh, if this comes to fruition, definitely take a look at that and pay attention to see if it will accept a coax connection. That's the big, thick black cable that you uh, screw into the back of your TV if you're using a standard connection. So if it uses that or if you need to have a wireless router uh, to broadcast a signal. So that's something to look into. I think that that might sort of push me back into the direction of watching television again. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I said, I can you know, and I can send you a couple other like uh, over-the-air TV antennas. Uh, if you have an Xbox One, I think it's called the Mohu, which was actually designed to work with your Xbox uh, for people who have that but uh yeah definitely good news for people who are looking into uh cut the cord from i mean it's just ridiculous we're paying and how expensive it is yeah so expensive i'm paying maybe 50 or 60 dollars right now just for wi-fi and that's down from like 170 without the cable package right i mean that's just ridiculous right <laughs> you know I try not to get too bitter about it. <laughs> I'm like, it just needs to be done. That's fine. Right. Scout my pocket. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. We're, yeah, we're done with that. All right. What else do you have going yeah. on? Uh, flipping through, we got... All right, so there is... Intel's Project Alloy will offer the first open-source third-party HoloLens headset. So the HoloLens is a... Um, it's not quite VR. It's more AR, actually, because it's not going to give you a full immersive environment. It's actually going to augment the environment around you and use services to act as, well, virtual services, basically. Either buttons will appear on there, like on the table surface that you're looking at, or floating icons will appear um, as you're looking through the HoloLens. But it's definitely more of, a, um, more of an augmented utility. Uh, for the hollow, for um, an AR alternative. But what this is looking like is it's open source. So if you're not familiar with open source, here's the deal with that. Open source software, such as Audacity for audio, uh, Linux for your computer, or um, if anyone uses OBS for their streaming, which is open broadcasting software. OBS, what up? Yeah, what, what up? <laughs> okay, so here's a reason why OBS is free to use. Under the open source licensing, you um you are free to distribute the software free of charge. People have full ownership of it, and they are uh, able to make any um, additions or modifications they want to the code. It's it's open. The idea is um, open information for everyone. There are people who contribute to the open source projects, such as again Audacity or I'm using GIMP, which is GNU Image Manipulator Program. Wow, I just got really nerdy there. But um, <laughs> that's GIMP is actually a open source version of Photoshop. So like on my desktop that I'm using right now, it's like open source everything except for Windows operating system. I got, I got it all going on. I mean, um, that's how you do it. <laughs> that is how you do it. And it's these open source projects are um these open source programs are surprisingly powerful. They are awkward to use at times because 
they don't have a lot of the built-in nuances that, say, Adobe would throw into it or any of the other you know, fully proprietary software packages will have. Uh, so you can do a lot of stuff with them if you know exactly what you're doing or if you just need to do some, just something uh, that can get the job done for you. So the fact that there is an open-source HoloLens, this is interesting to me. Because it may be the final push that AR needs to get into the mainstream. Um, Nikki, have you had any experience working with either AR or VR? So the only true experience that I've had with AR has been Pokemon Go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. First is, off, what level are you? Uh, level 25, thank Excellent. you. Excellent. All right, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um However, I've I've kind of dialed back on my on my playtime recently Aww. for several reasons, and I don't necessarily need to get into that. I think most people who've played Pokemon Go can kind of understand the issues that are being presented mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm done with it, but at some point not. when my pants have cooled down a little bit <laughs> over <laughs> the whole thing, maybe I'll get back to it. Um, but other than that, I've I've seen other people like working with AR and especially watching other Twitch streamers start start working AR programs into their Twitch streams. Really? That has been yeah. It's been weird like being able to see how these people are are doing workarounds for AR and VR in in Twitch streaming. It's completely over my head at this point, but it's... Uh, okay, we're um, going to dwell on this a little bit because this is awesome. <laughs> the, so people are actually Twitch streaming with AR. Yes. Okay. Um, what? First, I'll give a sh- quick shout-out to any of those Twitch streamers that are using that. You know, I don't I don't remember exactly which ones. I, usually when I'm going through channels, I'm just kind of like switching, All right, switching so, through channels. So I don't know. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. But, but there are people. If you go into Twitch and you kind of like search it out or flip through different channels, there are people now who are streaming AR and VR games. They're, so. they're, yeah, they're starting to – and it might not be like a very intense game game they might be you know just using it for example using the oculus to um to show like their desktop setup which is a thing that a friend of mine had uh, given me the opportunity to do even via skype like you can actually see what the um like the oculus rift device is showing the person who's wearing it okay and so the the implications of that i mean that's huge incredible yeah that is huge and completely over my head. I don't know how they do it. There's so many more brilliant people in the world than me, but <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll figure it out and I'm sure they'll post more how-to videos on YouTube. I mean, oh my god, YouTube, you can you can learn how to do pretty much anything. Anything. It is fun. But wow, that again, that is pretty wild because now people are able to experience a little bit of these AR applications or VR applications just through Twitch. And they're gaining enough popularity that these guys are actually, you know, it's out there in the wild. People are using it. People are showing it off. They're starting to experiment with it and trying to find different ways of sharing that with people. Because I I feel like an AR or a VR experience is very personal. Um, Okay. So the implications for sharing that with other people and being able to watch what it is that they're seeing, huge for me. Just like I'm so excited about it. Yeah. So what... Are they doing any games, or are they mostly just kind of like 
just wearing the the VR headset and just kind of playing around with it? Mostly for what I from what I've seen, it's been like they're wearing the headset, they're getting it working through their computer, and the main thing that I've seen is uh, so when you're wearing the mm-hmm. the headset, the one that I've seen has been like being able to see multiple windows. Uh, from your desktop, and you like when you turn your head, you can look at different screens oh, and cool. such. So that's kind of something that I've I've seen starting to be used in in the way that people are attempting to reach out and do this. I don't know how many games there actually are that use this technology yet, but I feel like you know talking about an open source third party Hololens headset, like how soon will more games and more titles be available to us with that kind of technology? Yeah, see, that's the thing. When something is pitched as like a gaming platform, you need to have games to back it up. Yeah. Because no matter how cool it is, if it's not, if the games aren't there and they're not exciting, like, again, this is not a knock on the ability of people to develop games, but if you remember that, if you watched E3, that one with the the racing eagles, you remember that one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that... That wasn't working for me as like a game in its entirety. Really? I realize it's a development and it's like in progress, but mm, that's not going to make me go out and get a Morpheus or a, a view or a Oculus, anything. That's, that's not going to be a system seller for me. So the fact that they're, you know, getting more of the, um, it's getting more attention and that coupled with an open source version of it. Obviously, it's probably not going to be as powerful as the actual HoloLens. Who knows? Maybe it will be. Maybe people will be able to figure out, all right, well, this is the chipset that they're using. If we you know, swap this out or align this a little bit better, we can push out a few more, a little more horsepower out of the... Who knows? When the internet gets involved in the project and the right people are contributing to it, all sorts of great things start to happen. Super excited for it. I I really can't wait to see what happens in the next, I say give it 12 months, and and we'll see a huge increase in what's available to us. I I honestly think that the industry here moves so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just really excited. Give it 12 months. I'm pretty sure that we're going to see, like, so much more, and it's going to become so much more accessible to people in the next year or so, yeah, I'm sure. Because the public wants it. They absolutely want it. The problems right now are um, application availability. Like, is there anything worthwhile to do with it? And the obvious price point of everything. So the public wants it, but they can't really flip the extra four, five, six, seven, however many hundred dollars these headsets cost. They want it, but it's... We're on the cusp. We're, like, right on the edge of it all. We just need more reason to actually feel like we need to spend that money, right? (laughs) Basically, yeah. Exactly. All right, so moving on to some gaming stories. Start off a little late. There is a Mario corn maze. And once again, up here in beautiful New York. Thank you, guys. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, first, I don't know if you saw the article I posted on Twitter. One of our malls here in Albany, New York, they actually turned one of their, oh, hey, buddy, 
my dog just came up to say hi to me. <laughs> uh, hey, buddy. Um, one of the malls, they realized that they were a Pokemon gym, so they turned one of the concourses into a Pokemon arena just because <laughs> because we can do stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, there's this aerial photo of uh, one of the farms in New York, and they turned the entire thing into a tribute to Super Mario Bros. So we got Luigi, Princess... Toad, Yoshi, and Mario in a big 2016 up top. Um, that's just that's just good stuff right there. It's good, but I feel like I would get lost. Like, who finds these things fun? <laughs> <laughs> I hate not knowing where I am. I get lost without walls of corn surrounding me. <laughs> I don't know if it's if it being Mario themed would really make any difference to the amount of anxiety that I would feel standing in the middle of the damn thing. And yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good on them though. I'm glad they're, they're nodding to the nostalgia of us older kids. as yeah, well right. as the, uh, the younger ones these yeah. days. So yes, kids is right. I am absolutely an overgrown, you know, 13 year old. There's, there's 100% no... will always be right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So have you ever done any corn mazes? One and I never want to. Be <laughs> having an anxiety attack in the middle of the cornfield. I'm like, how do I get out of here? I come to a dead end, like a full stop at a dead end, and I'm I'm just sit there and I'm just like, I want to leave now, and there's no emergency exit. Like I'm stuck here until I figure it out, and it's not fun. <laughs> All right. Corn mazes. Okay. <laughs> so uh, moving on from that. Um, oh. No Man's Sky has recently been released. Um, have you been playing any of that? I have. Have you? No, not at all. <laughs> all right. So maybe let me discuss a little bit about No Man's Sky. Go for it. And and discuss a little bit about like its reception. So No Man's Sky is easily one of the most hyped games that were released this year. Easily. Um, Yes. Easily one of the most. People have been waiting for it for years. And we get down to let's 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 talk about a couple of different types of gamers, right? Okay. Styles of games that people enjoy playing. There are those people who really enjoy multiplayer games, you know, the capability of playing with your friends or teaming up with random people in order to achieve a common goal. You have people who enjoy combat. Mm-hmm. You have people who that is the driven goal is succeeding in a fight. You have people who are just amazed by sheer technology and something new, something that we've never seen before. And then you have people like me who I'm just like, look at that cute little turtle dog there. I really <laughs> like it. I'm going to follow it around for the next hour because I think it's so cute. So, so I think it really depends. Like if the, the way that people enjoy this game or the people that um, are the way that people receive this game depends very heavily on what kind of games you normally play or how you like sitting and playing games. I feel it. So if you're going for something multiplayer, this is definitely not a game that you should get because there is no multiplayer. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a really important point. Um, I'm going to interject just really quickly. When fallout four came out and basically Bethesda games, the, uh, the, in particular, the two big ones of Fallout and uh, Elder Scrolls. Uh, they are huge. They are massive games. They are fantastic games. There is zero multiplayer in them. 
And I was Correct. talking to a friend of mine, and he says, well, if there's no multiplayer, I'm not going to bother getting it. They should definitely put multiplayer in their game to appeal to more people. And I'm like, hmm, nah, man, that's that's not why you play these games. Like, it's the, games like that, and I'm assuming No Man's Sky would probably fall into this category as well. This isn't about getting sweaty in a uh, PvP type arena. This isn't about a social experience, uh, talking to your buddies and, you know, causing carnage. It's about escapism and being alone in this world and exploring it to its fullest. Is that kind of on the same track? That's precisely what it is. All right, all right so go there, ahead. There are elements of combat to it. There are space fights. You're going to come upon space pirates, and they're going to fire upon your ship, and you got to hope that you don't die, and maybe mm-hmm. you can get away from them, or maybe you can destroy the whole fleet. But the majority of the game is just about exploration and, and literally escaping what it is that we find normal here and being able to find different realities to participate in. And so someone like me that has like the wonder of the world still in her eye that enjoys small, simple things like finding a flower that glows orange, like... That's awesome to me. I love that. And I'm just like, that is the cutest flower that I've ever seen. I want to take pictures of it. I want to name it. I want to share it with my friends. I'll, I'll take a snapshot, put it on Twitter, be like, guys, look at this flower. It's named Nikki's Flower. It's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a simple person. There are other people that, that had high expectations for what the game was supposed to be and perhaps are not as impressed with it. I feel like it's a love it or hate it sort of game. And there might be, for those who participated in the hype train for the game, there might be a little bit of a difference between what we were told the game was going to be and what it actually turned out being. And maybe there's a little bit of anger and um, Mm. despair in that sort of sense. But I was not part of that like hype train. I was just like, oh, that sounds like a really cool idea. I can't wait. And then I just waited. You know, I, I didn't go to forums and discuss it. I didn't watch interviews. I didn't I didn't really care that much. So I'm enjoying it for what it is. Okay. And I find that the idea that they made an algorithm that created a game that is that spans a quintillion planets. Oh yeah. The number of combinations that they came up with was just it's like how high do we get for the normal person? that still actually knows what that number is. You know what I mean? It's like a million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion. Okay, I'm still with you. Start going up beyond that. And how many people like actually know what the proper prefix is for that? Or like they could just you know, say anything at that point. I think it was stated that if you spent a whole second on every planet in this game, that you still wouldn't be able to finish the game in your lifetime. I, I heard so, the same thing. Yeah, so that's that's the enormity of it. Yeah, it's just... That's the never-ending playability of that game. As long as you're okay with it being simple and just all about yourself and uh, and exploring the wonder of something completely different. So Awesome. So do you... I assume you have some type of like spaceship of sorts to travel between planets? You do. So you have a ship, and you have a exoskeleton of sorts. Okay. And uh, the idea is you're going through these planetary systems, different galaxies, different star systems, uh, 
gathering resources so that number one, you keep yourself alive, you keep your ship in tip top tip top shape. Okay. Keep your ship in shape. And <laughs> <laughs> blah, 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 blah. all right. And then um and then you come across alien planets, you come across uh wrecked ships that you could you could either purchase it or you could salvage them and they'll have more inventory slots, they'll have different shapes, they'll have different thrust requirements. So um hmm. There's there's an in-game monetary system where you can actually sell back things that you've gathered. For example, gold shows up in giant hunks that like resemble mountains, and so you can mine an entire mountain of gold and go ahead and sell that off to get units to mm-hmm. buy other ships, things that has more inventory slots for you to carry more things. Okay. Is gold still considered a precious rare earth metal? Yes. Okay. Um, it has a high resale value. Right. There are other things in the planetary systems that have an even higher resale value, uh, but those are few and far between. Okay. So it's still – all right. So, well, there's got to be a little bit of familiarity there. I was just wondering if it was still considered like a, a one of the more precious um, materials because I'm just trying to think, based on the planet's you know development – we consider gold to be valuable because it's so rare, but right. yeah, and to some planets, you know, who knows what the the composition of the planet originally was during its development, or you know how it changed during its development. That uh, iron <laughs> could be the uh, the precious metal there, or a little bit of history. Aluminum, way back when, used to be considered a semi precious metal mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, but at some point, someone developed a a more modern refinement or smelting process and it just like expedited the amount of or just like launched the amount of uh, aluminum they could get through this from the same amount of ore in very little time and what used to be a semi-precious metal is now uh basically waste that we throw onto the bottom of our ovens <laughs> and throw away when we're done with it yeah i didn't know that that was really cool yeah um, aluminum actually used to be a summer pressure but once uh, once they developed a new smelting process the the value of it just dropped to the point where it's disposable at this point so all right interesting, interesting. well uh, among the different planetary systems there there is a there is a universe wide standard so you can be on some planets where Gold is laying around in, in multitudes, and if you're trying mm-hmm. to sell it to an alien race that you come across, you know their their percentage of what they're actually going to pay for it might actually be a lot lower than if you took that gold to another planet where where they might pay you know over the uh, the Ooh. standard price. So there's local market indicated. values for these resources. Yes. Nice. Well, all right. So that just goes back again to like the enormity of this game. Mm-hmm. Where it's not going to be intense, you know, combat. It's not going to be you know, a, a lot of the things that, you know, again, it just goes back to what you said. Um, what type of gamer are you? What type of experience are you looking for? If this game isn't for you, you know, that's fine. It's just not for you. But um, to say that, you know, to, to start bashing it online, well, it, it's the internet being the internet, basically. But uh, wow, that is. That's impressive. I would say anyone who hasn't bought it yet that is interested in it, I really enjoyed it. I would say 
probably you should jump on Twitch and watch a little bit of gameplay and just see, like, give it an hour or so. Watch someone experience it. Watch a couple of different streams and see how people are feeling about it and see what it feels like to you. Are you really excited to get in there and, and look for stuff like this yourself? Because you're going to find completely different planets to what this person was talking about. So if that excites you, go ahead and get it. I, I, I think it has immense playability literally you mm-hmm. could die playing this game <laughs> and never finish it so um I-, I would look into it at least all right so uh next story up uh we have a article from polygon saying that a mass effect remaster is most likely on the way so nikki i know you're a huge fan of dragon age uh <laughs> just just possibly just just a just little a bit of a fan bit, of dragon age just a tiny bit just a little bit <laughs> and we had talked a little bit have you gotten around to playing any of the mass effect games so yes here's a little bit of of my thoughts on this i'm i'm super excited for the idea of uh like regarding mass effect one two and three remasters um and, and I would like to think that, um, well, I was one of the voices asking for a remaster. Mainly it's because of streaming. And let me explain. I'm going to take it back a little bit. So I avoided, awesome. yeah, I avoided Mass Effect for a very long time. <laughs> On mm, purpose. Okay, I would, no spoilers then for you. All right, I won't give any spoilers. No spoilers yet. I avoided Mass Effect for a very long time, despite knowing that it was also made by BioWare, whom I'm a giant fan of specifically for their Dragon Age titles. And uh, I, w- I was finally able to get hands on a trilogy copy for the Xbox 360 from a roommate of mine, but I didn't have the appropriate setup to be able to stream my first playthrough of Mass Effect and Mass Effect 2 on my Twitch okay. channel. Uh, so when I started playing Mass Effect, the original one, my community was very enthusiastic about my thoughts while I was playing it for the first time. And all I would do is just shoot out tweets, you know, about every moment Mm -hmm. that I got to in the game. And I don't feel like I've ever got that sort of attention over any other game that I've streamed before. (laughs) Okay. No, I, I understand beans. I I've played through all the dragon age and the mass effect games. Um, so I totally understand because so much happens, so much happens in the game. And I really think that, um, so in terms of streaming, I think that streaming is very much about the community of fans that the particular game already has. Uh, like, okay. sure, you could say that a lot, of it, a lot of it is about how entertaining the streamer is or uh, people wanting to see a game being played before, before buying it themselves or watching a stream on the game in lieu of, uh, of buying it themselves. Like, if they can't buy it, they might as well watch it. But in my experience, most people that are coming to my Twitch channel for the first time are people who have already played the games, and they want to connect with more people over it. So there's something about the streamer playing the game for the first time that people love. Because, I mean, another big point about all of this is the nostalgia factor. Everyone loves Mass Effect. So do you remember exactly what it felt like the first time you played Mass Effect 1 or Mass Effect 2 or Mass Effect 3? It was just, it was fantastic. The the stories and the the plot points and the few plot twists um, were so well, they were well-timed. They were well-placed. I didn't see many of them coming. And yeah, you develop, like, well, you develop relationships 
with these characters, they're so well developed and so well fleshed out uh, between the backstories. And again, if if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't played um, either one of these franchises, you learn so much about every one of the main characters in the game just through conversation. Like you will literally just sit there like for a half hour plus just talking <laughs> to your squad mates, just Literally, just talking to them. That's all you're doing. Um, I convinced my brother to play Dragon Age Inquisition, and uh, he would shoot me a text every once in a while saying, Bro, I just spent an hour talking to people. I didn't kill a single monster. I've been reading and talking to people. And I'm like, isn't it great? (laughs) So a lot of that, it's sharing that love of those people that you're getting to know. It. When I love a game, when it's personally affected me, I play that game so often that I kind of almost lose that fresh feeling about the game. Like, I know so much okay. about the tiny details that, like, sure, I'll remember, like, how awesome it was the first time I played it. But imagine getting to sit down and watch someone else experience it for the first time again. It's And that's what I was doing with my brother. Yeah. Every time he got to a new location, I'm like, so... What's this person up to? <laughs> and you know, I was like, oh, so uh, so what you say in this situation? We came in contact with this other end boss or something, and you know, we we would laugh about it. Exactly. So uh, we would specifically laugh quite often when uh, Cassandra would turn him down for his <laughs> uh, flirting advances. <laughs> and it's that kinship of sharing it as well, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So watching a gamer stream is a way of pulling back and enjoying someone else's reactions. Like, oh man, I know that they're going to freak out when this happens, or something like that. I know that they're going to really Mm -hmm. like that character because that's their personality. That sort of feeling. Right. So this Mm -hmm. is specifically why I actually stopped my Mass Effect playthrough after the ending of Mass Effect 2. Because I wanted to broadcast Mass Effect 3, and I was willing to wait until my PC build was complete before I was able to do that. All right, so you have a very specific reason for this, yes. for waiting. All right. So, of course, the week after I finish my PC setup and I have plans for that Mass Effect playthrough in the works, EA pulls this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> of course, <laughs> they're talking about remastering it now, which it would not only uh, enhance gameplay... Uh, maybe like the visuals and stuff, but it would also allow streamers who play primarily from their current generation consoles to share their experiences with other people. All right. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. Um, I actually uh, picked up, again, with the whole you know money being tight thing, the uh, Xbox Games with Gold. I mean, such a great service. That and the, the PlayStation Plus games. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually picked up Witcher 2 a few months back. Yes. And I have never played any of the Witcher games. And I did watch, and this is basically from watching you play Witcher 3. <laughs> yes. I'm like, this game looks fantastic. And basically everyone said that if you love the big, uh, very in-depth, very open RPGs, you've got to play the Witcher. And I'm like, you know, I never got around to playing the Witcher. Um, I've been playing other franchises, and I just have limited time, so I don't know if I can really get into it. Well, Witcher 2 became available on Games with Goals. I'm like, well, it's free, so I might as well download it. And yet, I can play certain 360 games on my Xbox One. So any of them that they release for Games with Gold that are a 
uh, Xbox 360 game, if they're released on games with gold, then it's already certified that the game is backwards compatible. So I can actually, if I was to start streaming again, I would be able to, I should be able to stream the uh, 360 games directly from my Xbox One console. So the fact that they're bringing it forward. Uh, that that's a benefit of having an Xbox One, however. So I'm a I'm a PlayStation girl. I do have an Xbox right. 360. I did have an Xbox One. I I hated the interface. I'll be completely honest. I sold the oh, Xbox One yeah. off. So I have my PS4 it's and okay, PS4. We can still be yeah, oh, thanks. <laughs> PS4. All I've got to go on is remasters, right? That's what I've got so far. They haven't okay. really done the whole backwards compatibility thing. So good on you, Xbox players. Congratulations. <laughs> I'll just give my remasters for everything. <laughs> all right. So, all right, so you've got a specific um, reason for getting excited about the Xbox remasters. But um, any thoughts on remasters in general? Because they're still going strong. Uh, Skyrim is getting a remaster. Bioshock, which, again, for the same reasons, I'm excited for it because I never... I played a little bit of the first Bioshock, but then I got sidetracked by some other shiny object. Um, and I never completed the first one, uh, nor and the Bioshock 2 or the Bioshock Infinite. So that's coming out with a remaster. Again, specifically for me, that's awesome. But some other thing that I've kind of been considering and kicking around in my head, uh, let me know what you think about this. When you remaster some of these older favorites, you know, you're going to get the nostalgia factor. So those sales will be kicked in automatically. But for some of the younger gamers or people who are just coming into gaming, all of these older games that are fantastic and like must plays by some people, unless they can play it on their current system, you know, they would have to purchase an an additional older system and play this game on a lower resolution and lower processing type of platform. So any thoughts between like balancing out, as I put in the show notes, easy money grab or releases for the new audiences, especially if, uh, for instance, Mass Effect Andromeda's, you know, it'll come out eventually. (laughs) It'll come out eventually. But if you haven't played any of the Mass Effects before and your first console is one of the current gen ones, is that part of the reason as well to uh, release these remasters on the current gens. Any thoughts on any of that? So my thoughts on that, you know, is it an easy money grab or is it just for the benefit of new audiences, people who haven't been able to play them before, if it's all for the nostalgia factor? Okay, so my, my basic too-long-didn't-read version of this is going to be, who cares, <laughs> all right? If the gamers get something, who cares what the original intent of it is? You, you know, either way... Developers are putting out product that people want and they love and they ask for. Um, that is very true. If we pull back and we say, like, you know, nostalgia gaming is a huge sector of revenue for the industry. You know, there are mm-hmm. titles that have performed immensely well with the older generations of gamers, and the names have a legacy. Uh, so you have people who have played it before, who've owned it before, who have them on older consoles. They will buy them again if they love that game enough so that they could re-experience it on their newer consoles with higher resolution. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I I don't really care if naysayers say that, you know, remastering is not necessarily 
doing anything better or putting out new product. I don't care. It's it's something that people love. It's something that people want. Nostalgia gaming, huge. Um, mm-hmm. I, I also think that it's function to allow people who don't have access to a PC, which can play older games without worrying about like console generations and such. Um, or for those who don't have those older consoles to prep for stories like Mass Effect, I, I think it's an incredible opportunity for those people. For for Mass Effect Andromeda, I mean, we haven't been given a bunch of information about the story, but we no, we haven't. We know that it's a different protagonist. We know it's a different galaxy, and somehow all of these, like all of the story, will link up somehow. But we won't know until Bioware gives us something, but having a remaster prior to a new game dropping just opens up the world for more people to experience. So whatever, if it's if it's there for money grabbing, if it's there for new players, for older players, it doesn't matter. It's that it's there. Absolutely. And it benefits everyone. <laughs> That's what I think. It, it absolutely benefits everyone. But yeah, it's just... It was one of those things where it's like my knee-jerk reaction was kind of to roll my eyes. I'm like, great, another another remaster. But, you know, to your points and the whole idea that these games, they're not just a new iteration of the game. It's a continuation of a, of a story. It's a direct continuation of an ongoing dialogue and an ongoing plot. So it's not like... Oh, it's a it's a new story with uh, the same people, and they're getting into more adventures. It's a continuation of a plot point. So, if you're to jump in late, kind of like the reason why I didn't jump onto uh, Witcher Three immediately right. was because it's it's a continuation of the story. So it's one of those deals where, like, I took a step back, and you know, again, all your points as well. It's like. If you're going to jump into this established franchise with these established lore points and these established mechanics and everything that goes along with it, jumping in and at the last chapter, you might you'll be confused. You'll be confused at a lot of things and you wouldn't be able to quite pick up on some of the symbolism or um, any of the self-referential humor, which I'm sure they're going to put in. Like, if they don't have any reference to Garrus being obsessed with calibrations, you know, that'll just be... <laughs> that'll just make me sad. Which, by the way, did you catch... I think it was Cullen. Um, he made a reference to, like, yeah, I'm, during one of your conversation things, it's like, yeah, I'm working on something, but I gotta calib- calibrate the trebuchets or calibrate something to that effect. Calibrate the trebuchets, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I like, love uh, the man. Uh, <laughs> to, to your point about jumping in and the last chapter that's very much how i felt with uh, the witcher 3 so i didn't have the original witcher or the witcher 2 available to me when i started the witcher 3 and i started playing the witcher 3 and about 10 hours in i was like i'm completely lost i mm-hmm. don't understand what they're talking about i don't know who these people are these two girls are supposed to be my romance interests, and i know nothing about them And so I actually had to stop. I stopped playing The Witcher 3 for a while. I was like, this is too much for me. Maybe I should wait until I play the other ones. I stopped, and and instead of waiting to play the other games, I went through and did a story primer. I actually spoiled the first two games for myself so I could continue playing in a a way that I could 
you know, manage. Well, and- you know, well, we're adults, uh, unfortunately, as much as I tried to deny it, but we got stuff going on. Yeah. You know, we don't have uh, infinite hours to go through and play these games. And it's not like watching a movie or reading a book. Like These games, to get the full effect out of them, they're like 100, 150 plus hours. Like That's a lot of time to invest into a game. Uh, just to get backstory. So, hey, you know, do what you got to do. I was still upset about it. I was like, I can't believe I'm actually Aww. spoiling the games for myself so that I could play something else and and have an understanding of the lore. But, you know, again, what you were saying, you got to do what you got to do. We're all busy people. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you being a busy student and um, full-time employee... And doing this podcast and everything else that you do, having a dog and a family, what? How? How do you find time to game? It's tough. Um, basically, what I do is I'll be one of the late night gamers on the weekends. My wife understands I'm a gamer. That's not going to change <laughs> uh, for for any any length of time or the foreseeable future. You know, after the house is taken care of and the dogs are taken care of, and you know, it. Um, Another joke that me and my brother have, you know, you hear stories all the time about people who like their relationships get destroyed because someone's addicted to video games. All right. I will never let that happen. Uh, that that just will not happen. Uh, take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of business. Video games, as much as I do love them, and uh, I do believe that they are a, uh, a legitimate art form at this point. They are escapism. They are entertainment take care of business first. So once all that is taken care of, it kind of also goes back to where we're talking about being a cord cutter. You know, we just don't watch TV. And if I'm going to, if I have a few hours to kill, that's just, you know, me time, I'll end up gaming instead of watching TV or something like that. Um, Or I'll do the late night thing where I'll be up till midnight or two o'clock in the morning. (laughs) If I'm doing a raid on Disney, (laughs) but, um, you know, I'll do it later later at night so that it doesn't interfere with anyone else in the house type of thing. And I, I think that's most people's modus operandi. I mean, everyone has a different life situation, but I, I work that way too. When people ask mm-hmm. me when do I find time to play games with my kind of schedule and the things that I do, I ask them, have you ever heard of coffee? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because that is a godsend. I'll, I'll be uh-huh. up until... So usually when I stream, if if I'm gaming while I stream, I'll start a stream at like 9 or 10 p.m. our time, mm-hmm. and then I'll stream until maybe like 12 or 1 o'clock. And every now and again, uh, now and again I'll do like, a, like after stream hours where I'll just start like investigating other games to play, uh, or I'll go back to something that has nothing to do with the stream that I'm working on right now, and I'll just like have a little unwind time, like a mm-hmm. so streaming Outlast. But I get wound up playing that, so afterwards I need something really relaxing before I go to bed, so I'll play No Man's Sky for a couple of hours, you know? And There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I can see where you might get a little wound up and tense after playing uh, Outlast for a while. <laughs> I can't wait for you to try it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. All right, one more fluff story, and uh, a coworker of mine. Uh, who's also an avid gamer, um, he he sent me this article, and it just made me laugh. I'm like, oh, I, I absolutely need to talk about this. A Microsoft Xbox onesie. What? Yes, <laughs> a onesie. 
<laughs> so here, I'll um, I'm gonna shoot this link over to you in our little chat. I need to see this. Thing. So yeah, and it's from CNET, so it's an actual like r- reliable news source. Uh, the latest reveal from Microsoft is not a console or a game, but a cozy garment for gaming, and it is a a onesie pajamas that is stylized with the Xbox logo <laughs> and Xbox name on it. And I mean, it's just crazy. This this photo isn't too bad, but if you do like an image search for it, uh, the female model she's given like a standard type of modeling pose, I guess I'll call it, <laughs> uh, where she's looking halfway serious. But the guy, uh, there's one where he's holding an Xbox console under one arm, and he's just got this stupid grin <laughs> on his face that just screams like, "I know this is ridiculous, and I absolutely love I'm it. I don't care. It. I love it." So I actually I I have a unicorn onesie that sometimes I'll wear while I'm streaming. <laughs> that has the pockets and it has the hood and it's it looks like it's the same material. I I 100% and fully support the use of adult onesies whenever anyone is gaming and good on you guys, man. Good on all of us. I, I think that this needs to be a thing. Yeah, it's been re- okay. So the article says it's been revealed in Australia <laughs> to help uh, celebrate the launch. Um, no news if it's going coming to the states. Uh, basically, this is going on my Christmas list. Like, I don't care. That's amazing. Someone- <laughs> this is going on my Christmas list. And if it's not sold in the U.S., then we'll figure out a way to get it through uh, through Amazon or something. But like, something needs to be done. This I can't let pass. By. Amazing. All right. So, final five. These are the final five questions to wrap up this podcast that range from irrelevant to irreverent. Nikki, are you ready? Sure. It doesn't matter. So, ah. <laughs> so start it off. Um, the first two are pretty standard questions, and the last three, since you've got such a love for Dragon Age, uh, they're all Dragon Age themed. So, first question. Oh, you're prepared. <laughs> oh, I am prepared. Yeah, I did not include this on the. Uh, in the show notes that I sent over to you earlier, like, nah, these, these have to be surprises for my guests. So. Off the cuff. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, do you drink it black? Most of the time. So in the morning, it's black coffee, and it's usually room temperature Ooh. because I don't like drinking hot coffee. I know. Oh, really? I know. I'm gross. That's, so, that's icky. Don't do that. <laughs> black room temperature coffee, it gets down faster, and it wakes me up faster. Uh-huh. All right. And then usually when I'm at work, I indulge in like a Thai iced coffee with like heavy cream and sugar. But that's that's like my one daily treat. Oh, the the uh, the barely coffee type of thing. <laughs> the barely coffee with the coffee in it that gives you the caffeine sweat. It's still really strong. <laughs> All right. Second question. Uh, do you play any tabletop games? I currently don't, but I really want to, and nobody wants to play with me. <laughs> I need to find time in my life to find people to play these games with me. And and um, my friend Erin, uh, the witch elf on Twitter, wonderful mm-hmm. girl, she, she bought the Dragon Age tabletop roleplay like, lore book and everything, so she's got it. It's okay. just, I've you actually need to get a group of that, people. Okay. I've actually seen that played. Oh, I can't remember what it's the video series is called, but it's got Josh Whedon in it and they actually went through it. So yeah, it's basically a, a Dungeons and Dragons type game, uh, but it's all based in the Dragon Age universe. And it's perfect. It's yes. just the perfect thing for me. So 
anybody out there, you in the D.C. area, I'm looking for people to Dragon Age roleplay with me. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Third question. What was your preferred mount in Dragon Age Inquisition? I got the uh, the DLC Bog Unicorn because I pre-ordered the game. Oh. So the Bog Unicorn was really creepy looking, and I loved it. Okay. See, I didn't... I have one of the DLCs that I haven't been able to get through because with these Bioware games, I like to do two playthroughs. One where it's just like I'm playing myself and I do all the good things because I know that's what you're supposed to do to help everyone. And then like (laughs) I completely switch it up on the second playthrough and just like Mm -hmm. I'm mean and I just like slaughter everyone and everything. Just to see. Bog Unicorn was your second choice? Uh, Your second playthrough choice? Unfortunately, no. I went with the Battle Mug. Battle Mug is still awesome, and like <laughs> it's it's huge, and I love that it's basically like a like a mole elephant. It's perfect. Yes, and I was playing as a Kunari <laughs> as well, so oh, perfect. it was I it was it. fitting. I'm thinking with my Inquisitor with my uh, Lavalon, I feel like she needs the red heart, so I might be moving towards the red heart next yeah, time. Yeah, that we'll would see. be a, that would be appropriate. Oh, I uh, yeah, it was a. Male Kunari and then a female elf in my second playthrough, and wow, the bo- the body scaling between yeah. those two character models was yeah. just like huge, huge, such a difference. <laughs> All right, so fourth question: hmm. Have you washed your arms since the Magic City Con? <laughs> <laughs> and would you All care right. to explain why that's a funny question? <laughs> Okay, so there's now a tradition. Uh, a friend of mine and her sister put on this convention in uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, called Magic City Con, and it's it's got a very heavy Bioware influence because Rita is such a huge Bioware fan. Magic City Con 2015, she invited um, Johnny Reese, who's then referred to as Greg Ellis, who is the voice of Cullen, and I'm a huge fan of Cullen from Dragon Age. In general, he, he's in all three games, just happens to be more present in Inquisition. And um, I have <laughs> I have Dragon Age characters tattooed on my arm, <laughs> and one of them is Cullen. So Johnny, Re- uh, Johnny Reese, he meets me and decides to smush his face up against my arm. <laughs> and, uh, and there was a picture taken of that, and I was beside myself. I didn't understand what was happening at the moment. I, I, he approached me in the hotel bar, and just my arm was suddenly next to his face. <laughs> and, um, so that happened. That was 2015. And then went back this past year, 2016, where we have Steve Valentine, who is the voice of Alistair in the Dragon Age series. And I happen to have Alistair tattooed on my arm as well. And someone said, wouldn't it be funny if you got Steve Valentine to push his face up against your arm just like Johnny Reese did? And I was like, I'm not going to ask the man. And so someone someone, (laughs) someone did. did. And so he didn't quite smush it quite like Johnny did. But but he did, like, pose very nicely next to my arm. And, (laughs) yes, I've washed my arm. (laughs) I'm not that crazy. Magic City Con, go. It's Ugh. perfect. If you're a Dragon Age fan, or a Mass Effect fan for that, inst- you know, go. Just go to Magic City Con. I love it. Okay. All right. Fifth and final question. How many times have you dressed your dog up as a Mabari Warhound? Oh. 
Jordy is an American pit bull terrier, and he's my tiny baby, and I love him so much. But he's not quite actually that tiny. Aww. He's he's small for a pit bull, but he's still fifty pounds, and he's still Mama's big sausage bean. So. Aww. In terms of dressing him up as a Mabari, there's very little that I could do to actually dress him up. Maybe I could I could feed him more <laughs> if he could get all beefy. I still call him Mommy's Little Mabari, so he's... All right. I, I, I really want him... Okay, here's the thing. I really want him to be the Mabari for my Grey Warden cosplay. There you go. I just need to figure out how to do that. You need to start bulking up. Need to start bulking gotta up. Bulk up the baby. <laughs> gotta work on that. Maybe do like um I remember watching Wishbone as a kid. Do you remember Wishbone? I remember the name, but I don't think I ever watched it. It was like it was a, a kid show about a little Jack Russell Terrier who would like act out, you know, literary classics. Mm-hmm. And um and I remember seeing in like like the little couple minutes after the show where they would tell you the trick behind the show or something that they have like dye for like temporary dye for dog fur that is like vegetable based okay so like i was thinking about drawing a little you know paint on the dog with the vegetable based dye i don't know (laughs) you know what no i'm gonna help you out with this because when i last brought uh kinsey's up here with me right now she is my pity plot hound mix so she's got like this brown light and dark brown brindle and she's about 50 pounds as well. Oh, um, it's a baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, she... I call her Kinsey. Uh, <laughs> Kinsey. Named after Kinsey Kensington of Saints Row. <laughs> Be- because she is such a lover. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, and I completely forgot where I was going to go with this. Anyway, she looks exactly... She's got the same... <laughs> oh, that's right. I remember. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Uh, she's got the same coloring as a Mabari Warhound, but when we last brought her in for a grooming um, at the at the grooming place, uh, v- they had advertisements where you could get like temporary dyes on your dog for your favorite football team. <laughs> so there oh, are man. stencils out there, um, and there are definitely dyes. Yeah, and I think it is just. I mean, obviously, it's going to be non-toxic because no one in their right mind would ever put anything remotely toxic onto their pet. So such things do exist. Such things I need absolutely to go looking exist. for it. That's amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> and that is all the time we have for this episode. Time for end of show plugs. You can follow me, Anthony Rossi on my personal Twitter at hypersyntax, H Y P three R S I N T four X. Or you can follow this podcast directly at VGXT pod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash video game crosstalk. This podcast is hosted directly on Podbean and can be found at videogamecrosstalk.podbean.com. As for my guest, Nikki, where can our beautiful listeners find you? Well, beautiful listeners, um, honestly, if you search for Game with Nikki, that's N-I-K-K-I, Game with Nikki, on most any social network, you'll probably end up finding me. <laughs> yeah, um, same thing with uh, Hypersyntax. There's a bunch of other, like... Uh, accounts that I have that are all based on hypersyntax, but yeah, it's all over the place. Go ahead. I'm mostly active on Twitter. 
and if you like random musings or like to know what's up in my life, Twitter's probably the place that you should look for me. And I would love if you guys took a moment to drop by my Twitch chat room and hang out with me while I stream. And uh, you'll find me at twitch.tv slash gamewithnikki. All right. And finally, if you are a gamer or know a gamer that wants to talk some tech or science news, let me know. Do you have some tech news that you'd like to hear discussed? Do you have any other general questions that you would like answered on the show? Send an email to videogamecrosstalk at gmail.com. Give me the deets on what's going down. Please don't forget to like, review, subscribe, and share this podcast all over your social media accounts. And we can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thank you one last time for hanging out with us, and until next time, in the words of Matsuo Basho, do not seek to follow in the footsteps of the wise, seek what they sought. <laughs>